0: Welcome
1: to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I am one of your hosts for today, Kat McCain.
2: And I'm Angela Frymuth. Today we have Mr. Corey Haverman, Emergency Management Specialist for Rock Island District, and Ms. Amanda Mueller, the Rock Island District Flood Area Engineer for the Quad City region. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Well, thanks for having us.
2: There are several unique careers within the Corps of Engineers, And the Inside the Castle team wants to shine a spotlight on these. And so today, we're going to add you all to our day in the life of segments. We're going to get to know more about emergency management and uh, the role you all play within the Corps of Engineers. But before we go any further, let's get to know you. So, Corey, can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you um, started with the Corps and your current position?
0: Well, I'm going to go back. When I was a little kid, we went camping quite a bit up by the Lewis and Clark Lake, and we would drive over the dam and um, on the way to camping. And I always thought it was a neat structure, um, and I thought that seems like a great place to work at. So going forward, I graduated high school, went to the University of Nebraska for civil engineering, and I came here to the Rock Island District as a hydraulic engineer. While I was there, I did some modeling and other fun stuff, but I also did a little bit of helping the National Weather Service forecast the Mississippi River and the Illinois River and the three reservoirs that the, that the Corps manages. So and I really enjoyed that, but while I was doing that, one of the other things I did, enjoyed was doing le- inspections of levees. So there's a, a lot of levees in the Rock Island District, and we do annual or routine inspections of them uh, every year. Um, and I enjoyed it, and there was a detail or 120-day detail to be the manager of that program and did that for 120 days. I enjoyed it. Job happens to be in emergency management, so I came up, and then, and for that position, it was a lot of just managing the inspection program of levy inspections. Um, And I did that for quite a long time, and then after that, there was a position for the National Flood Fight Material Center, or that position was open, and that is now my current position also, and that is providing um, flood fight materials to the USAID districts across the US that can be lent out or released to local governments that are experiencing a flood fight event.
3: So, my journey with the Corps started back in May 2008 when I my- joined USACE as a college student intern. Uh, I actually worked in the construction division providing quality assurance, support, on our active construction projects. I continued with that until I graduated in 2010 uh, with a civil engineering degree from UW-Platteville. And then I got on USACE's developmental rotation and spent a year in New Orleans on the hurricane risk reduction system, which is a lot different than what we have up here in the upper Mississippi. After that rotation period was done, I worked as a geotechnical engineer from 2011 to 2020, and I worked on a variety of very different projects within our district. During that time, I actually got my PE license and my master's degree in engineering online, so a lot of multitasking going on in that period for me. Uh, I've been working in the emergency management division since October 2020 as the inspection of completed works program manager where I manage the routine inspections for those systems that are active in our Public Law 8499 program. My first experience with flooding in our area uh, actually started two weeks after I started with USACE back in 2008. I had deployed to the Burlington flood area, and uh, I found the experience very rewarding, both personally and professionally, and I've deployed on several major flood events since then. I've been the Assistant Lead FAE for the Peoria flood area And I've been the lead Area engineer for the Quad Cities since 2015.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Corey and Amanda. And I can definitely see that developmentals are important in career development as you uh, move through your careers. As you guys know, the Corps does have a very broad and diverse mission set. And I can see emergency management really being one of the more impactful mission sets or mission areas. So no matter the issue, the Corps has successfully provided emergency response support for natural disasters and even alternative site development during the worldwide pandemic. While a lot of our work is in providing assistance to other federal agencies, I know there are tasks that we do on a daily basis that help keep the American people safe. So, Corey, what does an emergency management specialist do, and what are the key roles you or your office play in mission execution?
0: Typically, we plan for emergencies, and so, you know, by planning for that, you know, we're well, obviously, we're writing plans, but um we're looking at determining what our major risk is, what are some other significant risks where like for right now, covid is is one of the risks, of course, and we planned to respond to that way before the this event even occurred, so similarly with floods, you know you're trying to plan for where the water will be, how high the water will be, number of people that we need in the field to assist the towns and cities and uh, levy districts, so there's a lot of planning that occurs for emergencies. We also do uh, training of responders, so both flood fight, other hazards that we do deal with. Most of our training, of course, is for flood fight events. That is a lot of what we're trying to do is teach everybody how to flood fight. Sometimes it's uh, not intuitive what the right answer is for issues that you see during a flood fight. We also train uh, local towns uh, public works type employees on how to flood fight especially ones that that have levies associated with them or high water where high water will be may if it, something were to have an issue could impact property and lives so we're really restricted on what USACE can do during emergencies we are more of a, a help out provide technical assistance during uh, flood events other emergencies we do get more involved but mostly it's just you know, providing technical assistance and what we can say and what we can't say. So there's a lot of regulations. Some key roles the office plays and and we play, of course, is upward awareness. So making sure our leaders understand what's going on and why that's important. They can summarize stuff up to their leaders and keeps going up potentially sometimes up to the president um, so that they know what's going on and how those leaders can help us. So if they're informed we tend to have better results in the field of leaders that know what's going on. So, And then, of course, also pushing that awareness downward to our responders, right? So if we know a, a road is closed or a bridge is closed and they have to go and respond or go do, provide technical assistance somewhere, if that road is closed, then it's really tough to get there. So some of the the other things that that I do that are important, uh, of course, the National Flood Fire Material Center, and that's making sure that we have... Sandbags, uh, large sandbags, poly sheeting, gabion baskets, and pumps available for uh, states and local entities, counties, tribals. If they need more resources or they're uh, used all available resources that they have, we can assist kind of as a backup, if you will. So and we do do quite a bit of that. Um, and then the last key role I was going to talk about is just technology, trying to see how we can improve technology to assist our
2: so Amanda, um, the next question is for you. Corey talked a little bit about the emergency management role, but having been employed by Rock Island for many years and you know been working with all of you for most of those years, I know that Rock Island has a unique role uh, that they have established um, and that's the flood area engineer role. And you uh, cover the Quad City area and I want you to talk a little bit about the Flood Area Engineer Program um, and how it came about and you know, the benefits of having a flood area engineer and why it's important to local communities and, and ultimately the, the nation.
3: So the Corps of Engineers districts and divisions are all separated by watershed. Our district took the same approach to establishing the flood areas. We have currently nine flood areas within our district And it's all located on the major river basins within our district so that if there's a flood event, say on the Des Moines River, the Des Moines flood team would go out and respond to that event. Uh, Those specific teams, they stay on those teams year round for all the different tasks so that they become essentially subject matter experts in that area. Uh, That was the idea behind establishing specific teams. And then if it becomes a wide-scale district event, we have the ability to use different people throughout the district to respond to the specific areas that need assistance. But as a flood area engineer, you're almost acting like a liaison between our external partners and USACE. And like I said, that relationship is present year-round because not only does it involve flood response, but you're out there doing the actual routine levee inspections you review any modifications to federal projects uh, that come up, and you're actually providing general technical support throughout the year as the sponsor communicates with you the various needs that they have. Of course, through all that, you build a relationship with them, and you almost become an internal advocate to help support whatever they need from the Corps of Engineers. So you may help them get information from permitting or hydraulics and maybe some leadership decisions as well. I want to say that Throughout my experience, I've definitely noticed that most of the sponsors are very passionate about what they do on their labor system. They're very proud of it, uh, and that in terms makes you passionate for them, and you can carry that forward into our internal team. Those that are assigned, particularly in the lead spot, uh, volunteer to do so as an extra responsibility for their job. It's not something that's uh, assigned to just anybody. We look for the, the right people to fill that position. It really is a leadership development opportunity because they're responsible for managing their flood response team, which means keeping the team up to date as far as numbers and their training. They have to actually do all the coordination for them, their inspections. They have to ensure the quality of those reports. And during a deployment, they actually have to act as a quasi-supervisor. Um, personally, I find the FA position very rewarding. Really, you provide the boots on the ground support during a flood disaster you can very quickly engage the greater district team to provide expedient support, whether it's by obtaining specialized engineering support, maybe you have a levee distress situation going on, we can get specialized geotechnical engineers to that exact spot and have them evaluate what's happening. Or we can work with Corey at the NFMMC to find the nearest available pump or sandbag stockpile. Personally, i provided support during the early hours of the morning, just like Corey, when the levee was threatened to be overtopped, or in one case, a pump started backflowing because the power went out. So I've been called several several times in the middle of the night. I'd say most of our external partners really value this part of our partnership uh, the most. And really, as an FAE, you have an opportunity to help people save
1: their lives and livelihoods. Wow, Manda, that's awesome! Thanks for your technical support and the leadership you you provide, as well as your the flood response team support. That support really does impact our uh, external stakeholders, our sponsors, and and those local communities. And I'm sure they are glad to know that you all are there to assist them, regardless of what time it is, even if it is at midnight. Again, we're there to you're, you're there providing the safety and life safety for them. Selflessly serving our nation and caring for people is a priority for the core. And I know a lot of us take great pride and the level of support we do provide locally, regionally, and nationally. So for Corey, and then we can go to Amanda, um, what is the most rewarding part of your job and why?
0: There's a lot of things that I find rewarding, but I think the most important I think is just you tend to get a, have a feel good about helping people, helping the people, um, keep their property and keep their lives, basically, and their property from being impacted by the disasters, especially flooding. It's pretty well. All natural disasters are pretty indiscriminate about who they affect. So, the better we can reduce those losses, the better we are. So, and we at USACE at least tend to do that fairly well. I think we tend to help out a lot of levee districts and towns and and, and cities by letting them know some of their weaknesses that they have or low spots or whatever on their levee system or anything else um, that they're trying to protect from flood water. So I I just think we do a good job with that. And I always enjoy that aspect that we did something or I did something. And by doing that, we had one house that didn't get water in it, you know, which one house, big deal. But for them, it is a huge deal. You know,
3: Amanda? All right, so I would echo Corey in that really the most rewarding part is helping people, but I also highly value just all the connections that you have to make with the people to get that done, uh, whether it's internally with all of our external partners, which is which is huge. We have levy districts. We work with cities, counties, um, all the different state agencies, and, and other federal partners as well. I mean, internally we have the opportunity to work with almost every single branch uh, within our district, uh, whether it's through routine o- operations or during an emergency. And do the all the relationships we have, uh, we can really tap into the vast array of expertise that USACE has to provide that support to help people. And that's really what we can do here at the Emergency Operations Center, is we can get feedback from the field and then bring our resources to where it's needed. And that's really rewarding, and that's what really get, gets back to helping people as a nation's engineer.
2: I uh, can agree with all of that as the outreach specialist for Rock Island District, it is rewarding to bring back the external partners' challenges and try to work them internally to make their lives easier or better, or, um, you know, helping save property and life. That's always important and a priority as the Corps of Engineers. So, Corey, earlier you mentioned that you do work with the team internally after you've developed plans to run through exercises and training to ensure that you know they understand the plan and able to execute it. But technical folks such as Amanda and the other flood area engineers, are there uh, specific training that they need to go through or are there license that they need to maintain in order to ensure that they're relevant and ready to respond to disaster and emergencies?
0: There, there's a lot of training that is required um, for for emergencies, I'm going to kind of step back a little bit. One of the things that we have that's hardest, at least for USA, at least is all the people that help us in the field are all volunteers, right? So Amanda said that you know the, the lead FIE, I mean you, you still get paid for it, of course, but it's still it's volunteering and you know waking up at you know late at night to go help out somebody during a flood event. I mean that's that's tough sometimes one of the things that we have problems with sometimes is just finding those volunteers and making sure that they're trained, of course. And then also we have to train our leaders too on everything. So, um, so for the training, we do do a lot of training, um, but one of the things of course is, you know, we have to make sure we're planning, right? So we're planning for a realistic disaster so we can train those people for that realistic disaster. um, And what a, what is, you know, a worst case disaster. So, and who is responsible for what area? So, like Amanda was talking, she's the quad. She's the quad city. She knows what area she's responsible for during a flood event. If you have that, those people in place beforehand, they can communicate and and build that cohesiveness with the locals that are managing their portion of their system or their area. So it's always good to have that available beforehand. And then if if the our lead FIDE understands what that realistic disaster is that can kind of help out those guys. So some of the things that we do train, we do do a lot of training here. Mostly a lot of it is for, like, flood fight events. We teach about, you know, what our regulations are, what our our technology we're using in the field, what some safety considerations that you have in the field. Because, you know, with flooding, you know, there's always a chance of the water basically you falling into the water and and being swept downstream. So there's a lot of that. And then there's a lot of training on how to respond to certain issues that are seen on levees, um, such as, you know, sand boil or a a levee slough or erosion on the lands on the riverside um, of a levee, or just, you know, what do you do when there's a, a levee that, is overtopped um is there a way to solve that issue on an overtop levy and then of course just communication with the people in the field we want our Floyd flood fight uh technical or flood fight engineers who are to be trusted by the the local entity that is we're helping out because if they don't trust us we can't help them you know so Amanda you know
2: what have you found to be the most beneficial training to help you prepare for the flood area engineer position?
3: I really think that what Corey says is valuable. They do the flood fight training for those that deploy on flood teams, often on a every-other-year basis. But I think the, the most valuable experience is going out on a major flood event with those subject matter experts that have been there and done that. Really on-the-job training, I think, is the most valuable experience that I've had in my career. I I think that unless you've gone out there and seen it, felt it, experienced it, it's really hard to comprehend from just training slides and uh, mock exercises. Although they're very helpful, it is not the same thing. There's emotions that get played in, there's resource problems, people are tired, they're hot, they haven't eaten in 12 hours. It's definitely unique, but very rewarding.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's nothing better than hands-on training and real-world experience um, and learning by doing. I'm right there with you. Corey, you mentioned earlier that emergency management is really taking advantage of some of the technology that's developing out there. Um, And the Corps is always looking for innovative ways Uh, to accelerate delivery or respond to disasters. And I think emergency management is one of those areas that every minute counts and communication is important too. And having been out in the field uh, during disasters, I know that um, it's important that communication continues and it's important that um, everybody has the latest information in their hands um, as soon as they can get it. I'd like to talk to, you know, both of you. We'll start with Corey first on some of the technology you've been using to make the flood area engineer's jobs a little easier and uh, for them to, to communicate information back to the Crisis Management Center.
0: One of the things we're using, we'll start here in the office. One of the things we're using in the office is trying to go towards a more a online um, COP or kind of what's going on so anybody within the district can see it. And so that's where we're using a portal dashboard to, to show all that information. And a lot of things just automatically kind of get wrapped up into that. So everybody, if we have the, the colonel who's in charge of the district has a question about something, he could ask us, he could look on this dashboard and say, okay, this is my answer, and then just kind of push it up from there. Um, so I think that's one way that we're helping out a lot. In the district, out into the when we have our our field guys and gals, we have quite a few of of both. They tend to have a lot. It's now it's more cell phone based communication out there, but not everywhere do we have good connectivity in the field with cell phones. uh, There's two products that we're using on our phones that are helping us with more instant connectivity, um, and that is Collector and survey one two three both by esri those applications allow us to f- have a gps coordinate of what is going on in the field um, where we can assign both a photo to um, potentially a video and some other stuff to that each point and allow us to upload that and get that information on a real-time basis um, back up here in to the district assuming there's good data connectivity where they are.
2: Yeah, and Amanda, is there anything that you've found useful as far as technology goes?
3: Um, I would say that the the collector app that Corey was talking about has been really beneficial in that not only can it transmit data in real time, but it can also show us historical data. So when we go out in the field, we know exactly where the problems were in the previous I think we have up to three floods in there now. So we can go back to those problem areas and check those areas more often because it tends to be repetitive where the problems come up. Uh, The other thing technology-wise that's been beneficial is there's been new flood fight products that have come out, whether it's through bladders, gabion baskets. Uh, There's some new plastic materials out there. People that are fighting the floods are starting to use those more, and we've hosted – uh industry days to connect with those different developers and having the footer air engineers go out and look at those different types of products been really great too uh so we can not only inform the people we work with but know how to make recommendations on those different technologies as well i us say yeah for those new products too um ERTIC has a testing facility where they're actually testing some of those situations where things do or do not work and uh, that's been beneficial to have that certification if it's been tested as
1: well. Wow. So it sounds like, you know, these new products and materials are being developed right now. And and I know one thing we we touched on earlier a little bit um, in our conversation today was the National Flood Right Material Center. And I think since we're talking about materials and technology, can you talk a little bit more about that material center and why is it key in helping the Corps execute its emergency response mission, Corey?
0: Back and forth after some of these major flood events where we've had these issues with finding sandbags that met all our regulations and specifications, we looked back and said, we can do better than this. So one of the ways that we do that is the National Flood Time Material Center or the NFFMC. So that NFFMC uh, is kind of a once place allows USACE to kind of centralize the, all the purchases for flood fight materials for the, for USACE. And it allows those, by having a centralized location for all those purchases, um, we can develop you know, a little better contract, contract and specifications. Uh, we can do these contracts, what we call uh IDIQ, indefinite quantity, indefinite delivery. That allows us to have sandbags available that we can, say, call up the contractor and say, we need, what, sorry, max. Three million sandbags delivered within 48 hours to anywhere in the continental U.S. So that is a huge step forward. It allows us, USACE, to be have a a lot better reliability in when and where we can deliver sandbags, um, and we have a, a set price for those con, for those sandbags. So it really uh, has increased our availability of floodfight materials. All these IDIQs that we have. The other, of course, is, um we now have uniformity of supplies and how to store them. So in the past, all our sandbags were on pallets. Well, trying to stack pallets of sandbags doesn't work that well. So now we're, we're starting to switch to, you know, getting them in containers, um when we are during non-flood events. And so we can stack them, we, which allows us to have more supplies available. So it's just, there's a lot of great things that occur with that. So the other thing that is, helps is we have more consistent consistent logistics. Uh, so like I said, we can have, you know, 3 million sandbags delivered anywhere in the U.S. within 48 hours. So that's a lot, you know, some really nice uh, logistics that can occur. Kind of an example, we had uh, one of the hurricanes that hit Port Arthur, Texas. There was, uh, they needed 100,000 sandbags. And within 12 hours, we had those 100,000 sandbags delivered to them. So, which was pretty I think amazing that we were able to get a call for those sandbags and have them delivered that quickly. And then by having this NFFMC, it allows those responding districts to focus on their mission during an event. Um, so they have a lot more things that they need to do than trying to do some contracting for some sandbags. So let them deal with what they need to deal with, and let us deal with let us help them out. So and then of course there's also. In, there's improved usage uh, visibility. and There's a lot more trust that kind of comes with that too. Some of the kind of the ways that the that the NFFC is kind of pushing forward um, is, of course, you know, we are trying to use a little bit more technology, uh, more visibility of locations of the materials for the leadership level, so they understand where things are, so they understand that time is still an issue for delivery. Sometimes, the more people understand that when they we think they're going to they can have supplies, the better they can decide which way to go. So, uh, And then, of course, one of the things also is a better awareness of the available flood fight temporary barriers. Amanda's kind of talked a, bit, a little, little bit about it, but there are a lot of barriers out there. And which is the best barrier for your area that you're trying to reduce water, floodwaters? A lot of innovative stuff in that. So, Corey,
2: how does such a small office uh, manage
0: all of this it's tough we have a lot of help from other offices within the within USACE right or within our district so you know like for the so let's say you know you know we have uh, the contracting we have a, a contracting officer who is one of her job descriptions is helping out the, the National Flood Flood Fight Material Center so so she's always on call when I say hey there's could be a, d- a disaster that, a flood event so she knows it so she's like all right so she has a phone on her we have um logistics folks at our our ULA which is our logistics portion of the core they are always on they're on call too if they if we need them to load up sandbags or to try to find uh, some trucking companies that will help us out so we have a lot of material here with the within my AOR but sometimes like we need to sent out all our sandbags elsewhere too. So I think in 2019, we have a little over 5 million sandbags within the warehouses for the NFFMC. And I believe nearly all of them were distributed during the 2019 flood event and some other flood events. So it is because we have willing helpers from our other offices within the Rock Island district. So they're the real winners, not the real winners. They're the real heroes. That works better. They're they're our real heroes.
1: We are nearing the end of our time together, but before we end our conversation, I want to ask Amanda, so what is the craziest thing you have ever seen while doing your job?
3: The craziest experience I had was actually during my deployment for the 2008 flood event. I was actually on one of the levees when it breached. Uh, It was really heartbreaking to hear that it was breached. Uh, We worked with the sponsor for long, hot days to try to prevent that, but it was still overtopped. This happened to be a sand levee, so once it was overtopped, uh, the breach quickly developed and got bigger very rapidly. So we sprinted to the cars as fast as we could and we drove out of that leveed area. Could actually see the water coming across the farm fields as we drove out, so it was pretty exciting to say the least. But really that whole deployment was very eye-opening, and not just for that single reason. I saw so many people just come together and try to help. It was really a uh, collaborative effort by so many agencies and people to do the right thing and help as many people as we could. Um, Some of the things I saw were a a half mile long sandbag levee was put up in just a couple hours with the vast amount of volunteers that they had. Uh, The National Guard was there. They had the bags delivered on truck from another staging area and then they'd load them on ATVs, drive the ATVs on the levee and just dump them off where other volunteers were to stack them. So it was was just incredible, the combined capability that I saw during that flood and was very eye-opening, like I said.
2: Well, thank you, Corey and Amanda, for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights and to our listeners, we want to hear from you what topics are important to you and people you are interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary.
3: To provide your feedback,
2: email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the
0: Corps and revolutionize civil works together.